Hello and welcome to Bottled Up on a mission to create conversations and make the mental health of men a top priority. You're joined by myself, Sunny, and Mayank, close friends from university who want to share the stories of everyday people on our platform. The reason? Because we are not alone. Before we kick this conversation off, thank you for tuning in and listening. If you haven't already, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and follow our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your conversations. It makes a huge difference to our reach with these awesome guests and potentially life-saving conversations. And if you haven't just yet, it takes 20 to 30 seconds to leave us a review and would help us out massively. Thank you again, and buckle up for another great conversation. live yeah get in oh, wow. get in get in <laughs> bro mate welcome to london thanks for having me sonny of course and yeah. i wish i could say thanks for having me in your country but it's not even <laughs> 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 it's it's not really as well yeah, we've, got, we've, got, we've got three aussies here and three uh three british folks here as well so <laughs> guess it's actually so refreshing to yeah. hear an australian an australian accent um, I don't know. I feel like I'm at home right now. I feel like I'm recording in Melbourne, but we're in London, which is like... Is that a good thing? I, I don't know. I feel like... I don't know. I've missed this. I've missed like having the you know, the, the Australian twang to the accent. I, I wish I could say the same. I just got off the plane and I was expecting <laughs> some London accents <laughs> straight yes. back into Aussies. Um, look, bro, I'm not going to waste any time. Uh, you're in London. You're here for, I think, what is it? Another night? Two nights? Yeah, I've got one more night here. Yeah leave to Birmingham tomorrow night. Yes. Yep. And so people are probably wondering, you know, they know you from the Janoskians. Yeah. Um, what the heck are you doing in the UK and <laughs> in Europe? Yeah, I'm kind of questioning that myself as well. <laughs> but, um, so I guess this is the beginning really of my solo career and I'm really taking it all on board and trying to flourish as an individual mm. person rather than being in a group. So... Mm. Um, what I've done is written a book and the reason I've written a book is because I've been asked so many times every <laughs> single day what happened with the Janoskians yeah. uh, why don't you keep making videos so this book is the final chapter it's the ending mm. to that and I want to put it to rest by telling everybody about the story what happened mm. and to be able to move on as an individual mm. so that's what I'm doing in London and Europe, and it's <laughs> very exciting and nerve-wracking. So, yeah. yeah, there's um, you you've done an amazing feat to like um come all the way here. I know you're doing a meet and greet while you're here. Yeah. Um, hopefully a couple of uh, appearances elsewhere as well. So, um, best of luck. We've caught you at the start of your journey. Uh, yeah. Over in the UK, so we hope you have a blast. Thank um, you. Yeah. You know, in in your book, the title "Laugh Now, Cry Later." suggests a journey through different emotions can you give us a bit of a glimpse into the types of themes and stories you explored yeah so this the story is pretty much about my life how i grew up what made me want to get into the limelight be a center of attention do the type of stuff that i did on social media mm -hmm. and it's stories of childhood going through high school bullying popularity and then um going into social media, how that unfolded. Mm. And then when I was in social media and got famous and was making a lot of money, how I acted in those moments. Mm. And then what happened in the downfall of those moments as well and why the downfall happened and what patterns in my life I was recognizing for me to be able to go through such bad and good moments. Mm and really reflect on everything and bring it all together. And the title Laugh Now, Cry Later is kind of just like symbolism or a metaphor for overindulging in a moment mm -hmm. and taking things for granted wow. and how I'm kind of like flipping it right now. So mm -hmm. what I'm doing, I'm purposely putting myself through pain mm -hmm. um, metaphorically, like mm -hmm. through the gym um, and doing things out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. to be able to laugh later yeah. So to cry now and laugh later. Love so that. that's what this story is about. That's beautiful, mate. Yeah. I often I often see a lot of people that you know, fame can come to them too early in yeah. their life. So I yeah. almost feel like when you're when you're much younger, you don't have the support network, you don't have the infrastructure, mm -hmm. you don't have the maturity to actually deal mm -hmm. with the weight of expectation, the weight of being famous on your shoulders. When you're in that 
when you're in the center of that, what, what was the what were the, what were the overriding emotions? Yeah, so growing up, my mum asked me from a very young age, I think it was around five years old, I always wanted to be an actor. And I think that has something to do with my father leaving at a young age. And I took on um, role models through the TV screen. And my favorite role model was Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, and I mate. looked up to him, he's such a gun. Oh, he's so sexy. Oh, and a good looking dude. Yeah, he's, he's, a good looking dude he's, a, he's a thoroughbred, that man. Yeah, he's, he's got it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I really looked up to him. And my mum always asked me, um, because I always told her I wanted to be an actor. She's like, what would you rather, to be extremely wealthy or to be extremely famous? Mm. And I said both. And she's like, no, you can only choose one. Yeah. Like, which one do you want to go for? And I said, I want to be really famous. And she yeah. said, why? And I said, because of Leonardo DiCaprio and the way that I look up to him, I want other people to look up to me the same way that I look up to him. Yeah. And I want to be in people's lives the same way that he's done. He's represented a good image to the world. And mum goes, why can't you just choose wealth? Like, yeah. I want you to buy us a house. Like, come on. Um, so, or a BMW. Yeah, <laughs> that's another story. That's, I don't, that's, that's an inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, taking that on board, I always wanted to be famous, but I didn't know what the repercussions were. My mum did because she read magazines about famous people and the way media can really bring people down and how yeah. they're perception can also bring all of cultures and society's perception onto that person as yeah, well exactly. and completely isolate them and make them feel alone yeah. but i didn't know that because in my head i only had one vision which was to be like leonardo dicaprio yeah so i went on and i went into the world and i took that and my mum said bo you're going to be famous yeah. she's like once you're famous don't forget about us yeah. and she said i know you're going to be famous because whatever you put into the universe you can get back and she yeah. always believed in me she never said this is plan B in case this doesn't happen. She always said, what are the steps to make this happen? Yeah. So I went in, she knew what the repercussions could be. I didn't. And I slowly just had to find that out for myself. And it took a while for me to realize that I was slowly messing up my life throughout fame mm. and overindulging. And I also didn't know of the responsibility that it held. Mm. Once everyone wants to be famous, nobody wants a responsibility. The responsibility... Yeah is to everybody that is relying on you to s set a positive message to yeah. put into the world what's not already there like so many people are going into it to take to be yeah. famous is to give and that's one of the hardest things that you can do to do it right and yeah. um i just wanted to be famous yeah. like yeah. i just wanted all the perks that came with it and yeah. i didn't know what the responsibilities would be Absolutely to make a good example yeah, yeah. what's like your definition has your definition of being famous this idea of being famous has that changed when you were when you were a kid till till now what does that like yeah. being famous now to you what does that mean yeah so being famous to me now you can be famous in so many different ways you can be a famous only fans model yeah um but i think to be a good public figure and a good role model yeah it takes everything it takes mm. everything you have and no matter what business you want to be in mm. you have to put your best foot forward no matter Absolutely. what and you have to give everything that you have inside to be able to achieve what fame actually really means Absolutely. and to be strong to the point where you can get over criticism and lies as long as you yeah. know yourself yeah. proper then mm. you are okay to be famous as long as you know inside who you are that will never be taken yeah. away from you because other people can't take that away from you because you have to figure out that mm. out yourself first. Yeah. Mm. And which, when I got famous, I didn't even know who I was. Yeah. I ended up falling into like a character that everyone wanted me to play. Absolutely. And that's what destroyed me. And that's what led to mental health issues. That's what led to addictions. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who I was, so I was always trying to be someone else. And when I couldn't be someone else, I made up a person. So... In the middle of my fame, it's very hard for me to talk about and it was very hard to get this out in the book. Um, when we moved to Los Angeles, it might have something a little bit to do with the weed. Um, I, was, <laughs> I, was smoking, I was smoking a lot back then yeah. and um, I, I ended up developing something, my brother calls it a messiah complex. Mm. And I fell into this 
mindset and I held it to myself for about 10 days where I thought I was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ mm. and I thought I was here to get all my fans <laughs> and um, bring them to heaven. That's literally what I thought for 10 days and no, nobody could tell me different. And until I had to tell, this never got out into public. I never talked about it in interviews. I had to sit down with my manager and my brothers and I said, guys, I think I'm the Messiah. I think, Mm -hmm. and at a young age when the whole world is, that's just what I thought. And I thought I'm here to bring good. And everyone's like, Bo, like, you're fucked yeah like you're fucked up Mm. and so i had to i I got so upset that nobody believed in me and nobody took what i was saying serious because i took it so serious so i went and isolated myself and put myself in a hotel for a week by myself and then luckily after a therapy session i realized that this mentality that i had was actually isolating me from everybody and i was very lucky to get out of it early a lot of um, celebrities, um, it's all behind the cameras, but a lot of them do have Messiah complexes mm-hmm. and they can be stuck in it for years and years and years. And not that anybody else would know, but they wouldn't even know themselves like in their own head of what it is. So that was one of my first signs of mental um, illness. Mm-hmm. And after that, it kind of, I, I was kind of like aware of it and um i didn't really get any more um not symptoms like i didn't get any more of those i don't know the word those thoughts and feelings those episodes i didn't get any of those episodes until i came back to australia after all the janoskins ended and everything so yeah wow no i never heard of the i never heard of that actually wow yeah i know like uh you know, you go to, I guess the only parallel I can draw to that is you go sometimes to really big cities, New York, London, um, people there that are perhaps not content creators, but just people like on their own um, kind of making it. And there's this thing called main character syndrome, yeah. uh, which That's is basically, character, yeah. Yeah, yeah. basically you're like the, the world or the movie, the world is the movie, I guess, or the city is the movie and you're kind of the main character in it and everyone kind of bends to your rules. And I think when you were talking about the Messiah complex, that kind of reminds me of kind of what I've heard about big cities yeah. where people think that they're the main character in that world. Yeah. Um, <coughs> I wanted to pull on a thread. Uh, you, you mentioned this very lightly, and if you are comfortable sharing, um, around you mentioned not having uh, a, a big father figure growing up yeah. um, at home. Like, What did that sort of look like um, growing up? Because I think a lot of the, um, yeah, a lot of who we are undoubtedly is because of the upbringing and the household that we're in. Yeah. And I think similar to you, my dad, um, my dad suffers with addiction at yep. the moment and he ran away from home when he was 12 <clears throat> and he didn't have a very good relationship with his dad. Yeah. And so I think even for me, as I think about like the next five or 10 years, perhaps settling down or being a father, it's made me think intentionally about the role that I want to play, perhaps in a family situation, um, you know, so be it. But for you, like, what did that sort of look like growing up? Um, sort of not having a father figure or the relationship with your father and how you've kind of put that effort and energy uh, into the relationship with your mum. Yeah. Yeah, so my, my father, also like your father, had many addictions, still does, has a lot of addiction problems. I would say that I did have a relationship with my father, but it wasn't uh, one-on-one. He wasn't there. He, he left when I was like five years old. So as a single mum, and she did everything that she could to keep a roof over our heads and feed us and like put us in good schools and stuff so she was very strong and i think growing up with a mother that strong you like learn how to respect women Mm -hmm. and one thing that my father did was the opposite of that so one thing that i never wanted to be was my father so Mm -hmm. i did have a father figure in the opposite light Mm -hmm. Uh, but in saying that everything that my father is i am too because i'm his blood and I've adopted some of his habits and traits and things like that without trying to. Yeah. And with me wanting to be the opposite of him, some it just happened to fall in place. So um, 
although I don't respect what he did to my mother, I do forgive him because I know that he is human. And I think the only way for me to move on and to become a better man, son, friend, mm. um, is to be able to forgive him and to grow and to not learn from his mistakes, but understand his mistakes yeah. mm. and how that has affected me and how that has affected my brothers and everyone around us as well. So he has reached out a few times. He, the last time he reached out was four months ago. He was in hospital. Three of his main arteries got clogged up. Mm. He's like an ice addict. Yeah. So he even told me, he's like, oh, it's because I've been using. And I'm like, I'm not going to go to the hospital. Like, this is your grave. You dug it. Um, thank you for letting me know. And he's like, it's okay. Like, I appreciate you answering the phone call. And he said, uh, if if I get better and the surgery goes well, like I'm gonna go back to what I was doing yeah. and mm. that's just who I am. Mm. So yeah, I think the best thing that he did was leave. I think that's the best thing he could have done yeah. because I think it would have been worse if he stuck around. Mm. You know, um, firstly, thank you for sharing and um, there's yeah some some similarities I, I think in our stories I think you just speaking out is <clears throat> I guess the, one of the one of the ways you've heard back from him was from the call from the hospital very similar I guess uh, about three years ago when I first heard from my dad when after probably two years of not speaking to him I get a call from ICU and he had pneumonia and you know they they've said come down to the hospital uh, speak to him and. That was the first time I saw him in two years. So a very like like a similar situation in some sense. Just yeah. hearing hearing from them when they're not in their best state. I, I guess the question for you is around how like you know with you and Jay and um, Luke. Yeah. How did you guys talk about it growing up? Just in terms of processing it, and <clears throat> these things often have a way of catching up with you later in life. I think for me, I never really processed much of it growing yeah. up. It's you kind of just. It's almost like fight or flight. Um, Mum's obviously very similar, like trying to put a roof over your head and you're kind of just trying to make it in your own way. But I'm just wondering, like, were these conversations you, Jay, and uh, Luke had growing up between each other or, yeah? Yeah, like, we would always joke about it. Like, that was our way of dealing with it. Mm. Like, if one of us pissed each other off, we'd be like, you're exactly like your father. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I am I, guilty of saying the same thing to my brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like there's no real way brothers can really I don't think us three brothers anyway sat around and cried about it yeah. um, we just laughed about it really made it made it a joke mm-hmm. kind of but we all knew that we had the responsibility of growing up to be the men that our mum needed yeah. so I think that was like the underlying conversation between all three of us without having the conversation but that was mm. what it was but in saying that I did have father figures around yeah. so yeah. I probably had the same thing that you did about like being taught what it is to be a man yeah, yeah. Um, so I had my uncle who always taught us how, like he taught us how to play football if we didn't mark the ball he'd make us go stand in the corner <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then a bit of David Goggins right there <laughs> Uh, and then um, yeah I had my grandfather as well who always like taught us that the first thing that is most important is to provide for your family so I did have like father figure role models around I just didn't have a father one of the things that I can identify with your story is around taking success for granted yeah and like I'm definitely not not famous or anything like that but like I I definitely have uh, imposter syndrome so especially with work dealing with expectations or these false expectations that yeah. I built up in my head mm-hmm. about how I should act how I should deliver work yeah yeah how did we you... were just talking about this outside actually yeah. 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 yeah yeah about like I was talking about if I came in prepared with what I was going to say yeah then that's kind of like imposter syndrome because mm. you're not actually in the moment you're all exactly. you're planning to be somebody that you're not exactly so exactly. yeah I, I get what you mean yeah. and I've done that before yeah and I think the only way to not be like that is just to learn from your mistakes yeah and yeah, to yeah. live in the moment and to speak naturally yeah because yeah. people can sniff it from a mile away 100%. people know <laughs> yeah. so I, like i said that the exact same thing downstairs yeah, yeah, yeah. but i didn't plan to say it yeah 100 yeah. percent, mate like like especially especially with dealing with fame and dealing with success i feel like you've had to, you had to do that like 
pretty much your, your entire like teenage years, early twenties. Yeah, like yeah. at least dealing with the expectations of you know people expect you to to, to behave in a certain way because yeah. of the aura and because of the fame that you developed through the Janoskians. Yeah, like how did you go about dealing with that? With, with those with those sense of expectations we were very lucky because the Genostians were not made from a, a large company like yeah. they weren't put together they weren't orchestrated yeah so our whole thing was being who we were in the moment and that's one thing that when we got interviewed people knew what they were getting when mm. we came on mm. So even though our manager at the time did try to like PG us, so we got those Coca-Cola deals and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that type of stuff, so we didn't swear, a lot of the interviews, they wanted us just to come just organic and natural. Mm. And mm. I swear some of the interviews are so bad. <laughs> They're such a mess. Like what, I remember one interview, one of my mates was like jumping on the table. It was like, yeah. we were just like, I, I guess we, we were lucky because we didn't have to go in with pre-planned mm. scripted oh, like course, yeah. trying to um present like what we stood for and who we were yeah. because what we stood for and who we were was just us mm. yeah. yeah and that came out like very naturally so like what what you were sort of on the cameras is what you were pretty much off the camera yeah well. yeah okay. how we started is pretty much what carried us through the whole way mm. and i think that's when it started to end when we stopped having fun with it yeah. We took it more serious as a business and just tried to really hone in on the success and uh, continuing doing what we were doing. And it kind of got messy towards the end, mm. especially when you're signing big deals with like Lionsgate. I think that yeah. movie killed us, yeah. Yeah. which sucks because it's such a big movie. Mm. It's a $4 million budget. It was Mike Tyson, but it becomes a different game completely. Mm. And one thing that I wish is that we never went to L.A., I wish we stayed in Australia yeah. and I wish we kept filming videos and stayed true to the essence because yeah. everything else was just fake mm. and it really ruined a friendship like between our friends that, yeah. that started it with us. So. What, what, what was the relationship like between the five of you? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it's like asking like, what's a relationship like over seven years? Yeah. It's very hard. I can tell you what it was at the start and what I remembered it as, which was just innocent friends from high school growing up. Mm. That's what it was. And then towards the end, there were just too many expectations on one another and expecting each person to bring in something each time and not mess things up. Like Towards the end, it was more of a business relationship than what it was a friendship. Uh, but we always cherish the friendship that we had. It's just towards the end, it became more commercial, I guess. Mm. Mm. Jeez. Mate. <laughs> I'm going to let you take this one. No. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a, I understand what the angle of your question is. Yeah. Um, so you started off as, as friends. When did, so are you saying that like, when you, as you guys grew more famous, the friendship started transforming into this friendship with a purpose or like yeah it's not it wasn't really or friendship for was, a purpose sorry. it ended yeah. up being forced yeah because we were all thrown into the same house together mm. waking up every single morning with each other which is hard enough to do with a girlfriend that's why i'm yeah. single like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so hard um i hope eventually i end up being able to deal with another human that's not me but mm. at that point once we were forced to live with each other mm. and put up with each other ended up being walking on eggshells because you yeah. end up finding things about friends that you don't like after living them with them for so long yeah. and you try to keep it to yourself but it just irritates you and eventually it's going to come out it's like mm. walking on eggshells yeah yeah too. yeah like uh one person very easy example one person could be clean the other person could be dirty yeah, yeah. and uh that irritates you and if there's another underlying issue you're gonna let that small issue really erupt and explode yeah. and once that issue erupts and explodes and it's on that topic it's open mate yeah yeah, yeah that's what yeah. it ended up being like so it ended up being forced and we let all the little things get in the way mm. and unfortunately um we haven't been able to get past that i would love to um but it's just you're not friends with all of your friends from high school so it's just something that was great in the past was great in the moment which is why i've decided to write the book mm. and 
close that chapter really for yeah. everyone that's interested and to move on and do my own thing because I want to live my own life and I don't want to be held to my past for the rest Absolutely. of my life, yeah. which I know I will be. Yeah. Uh, it's inevitable yeah. um, unless I do something very spectacular. Um, I'll always be held to the Janoskians, but I think um, an explanation is due to the people that didn't know what happened and yeah. why it ended. It was sunny I like it was, it was really funny because the the timing of this conversation is like perfect. absolutely perfect because Sunny and I like obviously we've been working on this this project for like what three years now. We were just mates, talking mates about this for before. Mates for, mates for seven. We started this with pure intentions. We started this like even the first time we met in, in university, just a hilarious story. But anyway, um, one for another time. One for another time. But like, I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, what, what we've found now, just recently, was just like um, the no, maybe maybe you're, you're better at describing yeah, it. But no. Like, see, yesterday we were up quite late. One yep. one um one was because I was packing. I'm flying out later today. Uh, but the second is, I've been here. Uh, you know, graciously to these guys for putting a roof over my head for the last six, seven weeks while I like crash on a couch. Um, but obviously both Mank and I are working on the podcast and I think yesterday all the little things just added up. Mm. And we, oh, well. we like, we're obviously completely fine now and yeah. like brothers, but I think yesterday it was like, what, two and a half hours of just kind of going, going back and forth. Going, oh, back, well. going, yeah, going yeah. back and forth. And you can't, you can't tell it at all, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think what you just mentioned is a No, you can't. Yeah, you guys look fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cheers, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but exactly yesterday, basically, all the little things had added up. And obviously, yeah. what you mentioned about expectations was spot on because, you know, I quit my job back in Melbourne. Um, I'm here traveling for a little bit. Manx's working full-time in a pretty intense job as yeah. well. And I think on my part, for example, was just holding him to the same expectation yeah. with me, obviously having the time and... Uh, you know, similar to probably what you can relate to with the Janoskins, not everyone is going to put 50-50. It's never, ever yeah, going yeah. to be a clean split. Yep. And it's the same in a relationship as well where you can't keep a scorecard and you can't yeah. you can't expect it to be 50-50 because someone just inevitably just needs to put more in and less in and that's just how it yeah. is. Yeah. And all these things had come up even from like, what, earlier this year, like February, yeah, March, had come up in conversation yesterday. Yeah. Um, and... We just voiced it all, and we, I, good. And that's good. Yeah, it's good. And and I like. Were like, you guys yelling, or was it no, just no, like, no, 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 no that's it, what you should do, though. No, it was that's like something proper, we didn't do. No, yeah. I think it was just it was just we're, proper we're progressing it. I think. Yeah, it was like just proper conversation, and I think one of the things that we did say, like right at the beginning, I, I literally said, you, you, you called it out. No, I said right at the beginning, I said, if you were in a fight tomorrow, I'd go and I'd oh, yeah. start throwing hands. Right, yeah. like it's just like. Yeah. If you if we're going to war, I would want you by like right by my side. So like that's a, that's the baseline here. Like yeah. I know when I choose my friends, it's yeah. based on values, yeah, and not so much behaviors. Like yeah. behaviors, you can there's little things that happen, and like if people have different personalities, yeah. but like if you manifest the same values as I do, then yeah. like we'll be mates for, yeah. for, for, like for forever. Yeah, and I said like we share the same values, but our behaviors and our ways of working are a little bit different. Yeah, love to know like especially with your with your relationship with with um with, with the other with other boys was it do you think that like it was the behaviors that that sort of annoyed you or was it like a values thing that was the the main source of the tension yeah so you're getting right in under the skin here yeah. <laughs> uh so it was with one of them it was the values and the behaviors hmm. towards the end the behaviors were just I can't even, even if you have the best values in the world, I cannot be around you. Yeah. Um, it ended up being, I just simply cannot be around you at all. Um, for example, we'd be in a car uh, and then out of nowhere, like no one's talking, they just wind down the window, stick their ass out the car, at a grandmother, oh, Jesus. flip the bird oh, and yell God, yeah. out the top of his lungs. And yeah. I'm just like, you are a yeah. psycho patient. Yeah, you yeah. should be in a mental institution. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> how the hell am I supposed to go on a red carpet with you? Yeah. yeah. So it was just like, this is why I also want to do things alone as well. Mm. And like, fair enough, if I have people that work for me, 
I'll hire people that have the same values and morals. And one of the people that do work with me, I grew up with in high school and he's very work driven. Mm. And um, I know that he can't put 100% into my business the same way that I can because he's got other stuff working on. But when he does put his time into my business, the allocated time, it's 100%. Mm. And I pay him for that. And we work that way Mm. instead of working on a, okay, if, you don't work properly. We're not going to be friends. Yeah, that's it. And yeah. and I would never work with another. I, I would never live with another colleague again. Personally, mm. I just couldn't do it mm. um, because I'd like to keep work, friendship, mm. and business all separate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's really. Funny. I feel I feel like that there's a reason that saying exists because you you often you often hear about it quite obvious it's quite common right like mm. uh, don't mix friendships and business but <coughs> i think when you're young you you all have quite a close bond yeah and you feel that you can escape that and yeah and you can yeah out, you can live outside yeah. of that but yeah. uh, there's a reason that saying exists and i think massive kudos to the people that have been able to make it work i know one couple that are married and they're working on something and they've been doing it for the last 15 years yeah well they're still married and like still working on it and so mm. i think takes probably a special breed and a special type of luck yeah. uh, for that to happen. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit, <laughs> going back into our reverse and manual. <laughs> Bad gag. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned just outside you've been sober for six months. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so when I came back to Australia... Um, I was living off like movie royalties and just money that was coming into the bank for about two years. So I didn't really have any drive anymore. Mm. I was just, and I ended up falling into some bad habits. And when I came back to Australia, I was treated like a king, especially in my suburb, Mm. uh, because I was hanging around with celebrities in LA and then to come back to like a small suburb Mm. with people that I went to school with. All these people just started coming into my life Mm. and they came in to celebrate the fame and the success but they also came in for the party for the women for the drugs for the alcohol and those were the only people that I was surrounding myself with and that was because those were the only type of people that I was drawing Mm. that 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 was the energy that I was putting out so I ended up finding myself partying on the weekends and then it was trickling over until Monday and Tuesday and then I'd go and randomly take acid on a Thursday and then I'd take a Xanax to calm it all down and then Saturday night I'd do like a gram of speed and then uh, to get to sleep I'd take a Xanax and which is very dangerous you can actually die from that and I didn't know that type of stuff Mm. Um, and this went on for years but it was mainly like weekend binge drinking which a lot of people like the last girlfriend that I had she said I said, I'm an alcoholic, I need to stop. And she's like, you're not an alcoholic, you just drink on the weekends, you just binge drinking, it's fine. My dad's an alcoholic, he drinks every single day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I'm an alcoholic because I've set a ritual every single time. doesn't matter if it's a time throughout the day or a time throughout the week, there's always that certain time that is scheduled in for me to absolutely lose my mind and go yeah. paro. And, <laughs> and like that was scheduled, like I was scheduling to be disabled and <laughs> like, it's like, oh, okay, Friday. Yep. Where's a wheelchair? Even, even they're, they're cracking up as well. <laughs> and like when I drink, I don't know about you guys. I can't control my drinking. It would start with one. The saying is always like, Oh, come out. No, I'm not drinking. I'll just come out for one. We all know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. It means, that, yeah. yeah, it means you're not coming back home. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and my um, addiction was to spirits as well. Yeah. And I would just behave so bad. Mm. And my brother still to this day goes, mm. oh, it's okay. Uh, you had to quit alcohol because you didn't know how to handle it. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to the gym the next day, are you? Yeah, yeah. It's not about how you behave in the moment unless you, like, like I would just speak up, probably stand on a table, yell out, yeah. and do some crazy crap. Yeah. Unless you're doing, like, some real criminal 
activity it doesn't matter how you behave it matters about how the alcohol is affecting you and your body absolutely and that's what i realized because i started going to the gym and then once i stopped for like two weeks drinking i'm like okay my gains are getting bigger um i'm able to go every single day and i'm actually able to work on my business every single day without having to take a rest yeah and when i started noticing noticing that productivity I didn't want to stop because I felt like I was one ahead of the game and I just felt like every day that I would drink would just be wasted Mm. and I want to build a life for myself quicker than everyone else Mm. and I think the only way to do it is to go sober so decided to go sober um, stopped the cocaine stopped Mm. (laughs) (laughs) stopped the alcohol I'm I'm glad you're honest man yeah yeah. um, well you you can ask anyone as long as it's not on camera or an interview around our age like cocaine alcohol it's just so normal yeah it's so part of yeah like and it's not talked about enough Mm. with like binge drinking on the weekends it's just so normal it's like Mm. put into this culture like if you Mm. don't do it it's almost weird Mm. so Mm. i'm happy to speak up about it in in um just a quick comment is like in in melbourne there was an abc article and um there was also a podcast on it around uh, us being the cocaine capital of the world like per capita melbourne yeah melbourne, oh. or, melbourne or australia or, or, or one of the two um definitely one of the two around being like one of the highest consumptions of cocaine per capita mm. uh in the world so, yeah well okay um, yeah. so maybe it's not so normal yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it's it's, yeah. It's, it's a truth it just means that there's like there's a lot happening yeah and it is you don't you definitely don't hear the conversation to match the usage no you, know, you pe- don't people just don't talk about it yeah um and probably if they do it's within certain circles of yeah. going out but yeah there'd definitely be stories of people just doing it without other people knowing yeah so no, it's like no it's, it's so common and i think even just thinking about what you were saying there it's like the kind of the, the quote-unquote high that you get from productivity and like personal, yeah. personal growth mm-hmm. sort of trumped the instant high that you get from like a from, from coke or yeah or, or alcohol yeah so See, i've yeah. pretty much like traded yeah. one addiction for the other mm. and i can honestly say i am addicted to the gym yeah and i am addicted to physical exercises because mm. that's the type of dopamine yeah it's not as intense but mm. it does last a full day mm. that's the type of dopamine that i was searching for when i was like drinking and stuff mm. so i've now come into doing two gym sessions a day and yeah and it feels great and i love it yeah and you try ice bars by the way just just aside ice bars ice bars yeah Yeah. i've done it i do cold showers every morning oh beautiful i'm psycho you know no it's uh, so i when i I would always look at people like that i'm like dude these guys are fucking psycho seriously but it's good for blood pressure yeah um yeah it releases dopamine yeah and um neuropinephrine yeah which is kind of like it's a drug that gets you aware and ready yeah. mm. so that's what it's good for it's also mm. really good for muscle recovery too oh, of course yeah. yeah yeah you you mentioned earlier around um when you had like royalties and and money coming in yeah uh, that you had lost a lot of passion and yeah. i guess interest in the world and like wanting to better yourself mm-hmm. but also some people might know that you also went on a weight loss journey yeah uh, with fitness and i think if anything that kind of re-enlightened your sense of hard work and commitment yeah. And yeah yeah what was that journey like for you and like what level did you get to before you even started this fitness journey yeah okay so it's so crazy because before the Janoskians, i went on a fitness journey and it was that journey of fitness that built my self-confidence that threw me into the Janoskians. Yeah. i didn't even realize it when i started my this fitness journey again that it's doing the same thing i've been able to come on tour and write a book and yeah. do the same thing so for me, fitness has always been, without me acknowledging it like now, mm. it's always propelled me to go forward. And I guess what brought me back into fitness was about nine months ago, I went around Australia in a tent um, just because I wanted to try and pull myself away from temptation and mm. the city life and all the bullshit. Um, I kind of want to pull myself away and learn real survival. And what Australians used to do is they used to get their friends when they had really bad heroin addictions and ice addictions, which I've never touched heroin or ice, but what they used to do is grab their mates, throw them into the outback with like only water (laughs) and a blanket 
and leave them there for three days. And once they go and pick them up three days after, they'd be so over the addiction because they're so focused on surviving that water seems like the new heroin or um, uh, food feels like, you know, they've just had like a big hit. And you get to learn and appreciate the smallest things such as a comfy bed, a warm shower, even sitting down in a car seat once you've been out in the outback. So that's what I threw myself into with hopes of getting in return back. And what happened was when I went and did those challenges, when I came back from those challenges, I grabbed meat pies, Snicker bars, chips, (laughs) and just fattened myself up. And I got so fat because I was overindulging and overcompensating. And so I get on a FaceTime of my brothers and they see me for the first time in six months and they thought I I had a filter on. And they're like, bro, what happened? Where have you gone? You're traveling Australia. You should have a six pack. You, you should be surfing. You should yeah. like, do you know how many more girls you'll get if you look better? That type of stuff. Mm. And I just felt so disappointed in myself. Mm. And from that day, I just downloaded my fitness pal. Mm. And um, start because I'd already learned how do I count calories back before Janoskians mm. and um, focus on getting good calories in and mm. getting crap calories yeah, out. And so I started my fitness journey and it was honestly, it was just like six to eight weeks on a treadmill for 45 minutes walking on an incline yeah. every single day. That, that burns calories. And I lost 12 kilos in 12 weeks. And yeah. then the Daily Mail picked it up. Yeah. And then I'm like, this is what it, what it is. That was the momentum at the start. Mm. This is the momentum now. Not only from news outlets and media and people actually being really proud of your success, but mentally and physically, because when you're physically stronger, you mentally want more and you want to go out and get more. So uh, that's, and since that, thank God for my brothers, um, I haven't stopped. And um, I've been like trying to Google Maps gyms in the area for while I'm here as well, because I don't want to stop. I have a, I'll tell you a trick after, in, yeah, terms, okay. of, in terms of gyms. So you can go. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll say it off the pod. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you guys been going to the gym for six weeks and hasn't paid a cent. <laughs> I, 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 haven't, I haven't paid a cent and I've been going for about six weeks. Side fact, apparently when playing chess, you burn a lot of calories. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. So what? Magnus Carlson just talks about how he loses, I don't know. You can't track it. Like, there's no, like, yeah. app that tracks it. But, oh, yeah. Because you're thinking so much, especially if you're thinking strategically. Oh, obviously, yeah. obviously, that's what chess is, but... Yeah. Um, I wonder how that works. Yeah. Like, I think, what's I think, happening? Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, they can burn, like, thousands of calories yeah. playing a game. Yeah. Yeah, so... I can't wait to play chess. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, um... I know you've also got your book with you and I'm very keen for you to like play out a couple of snippets like wherever appropriate but you know um, like what you mentioned earlier around the brothers kind of putting the mirror up to you uh, especially when they called you out for where you've kind of slipped and I think it's it's an awesome thing in life when obviously you need someone external to yourself to hold the mirror and hold you accountable yeah Um, you're talking about momentum so that was one of my earlier questions was around like how momentum is playing out in your life. But I think on the same vein, how are you surrounding yourself with people these days that push you to be better and, and put that mirror up to you? Because you know, you look at your earlier days in Janoskians and obviously the fame, the girls, all that, they're, they're not there to put the mirror up to you yeah. and, and, and hold you accountable. So yeah. um, as you enter this next chapter and we're all young, mm-hmm. literally everyone in this room right now is like very young and we've, and they lived, you know, hopefully touch wood, like less than 25% of our life. You know, yep. there, there's so much ahead of us. So yep. how <clears throat> how are you being intentional as you enter this next chapter? Because yes, you can work out. Yes, you can like do those daily habits, but it's the people you're around that makes the biggest difference. And yep. I think for me, I'm kind of going through this phase now where obviously in high school and uni, you kind of just want to be surrounded by everyone. Yep. And now you realize the real gift in life is having a handful of mates yep. that go out to war with you um, when shit goes south yeah yeah I completely agree like it's so easy just to have so many friends Mm. and just to kind of go with the flow with what everyone does and to be liked and to be loved but I think what makes you successful is to learn how to be not liked yeah and to go against the grain I think that's how you build good connections Mm. and the people that you have the closest connections with are usually the ones that see you going against the grain and the ones that 
want to be with you and once they notice you start going with the grain they pull you back yeah and that's the only way you'll find these connections and i've got one of them and his name is chris and he helps with my manufacturing of dirty pig and he helps with the designing and he's the one that i'm bringing up with me at the moment and also my grandparents too um because they will always see past the bullshit like even if i said i had a good week and made some good money they'd be like okay like great like they, they won't be like yeah. oh that's so good like yeah. they'll be like okay great what's the next move yeah. are you saving it yeah are you putting it back in like what's happening mm. so i've got these people and i don't lose connection with them it's also important to place your time into the people that matter so i go to my grandparents house once a week every thursday yeah. sometimes twice a week when i got some more free time um, I always set aside time for the people that have pulled me back in. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I think it's very important to do that. And I forgot the saying, but it's like, you are the product of the five closest people around you. Yeah. And it's like, if you look at any successful person, every single person, one consistent theme for every single person is that they have a good team around them. Yeah. They surround themselves with good people and they become those people. Yeah. And it's very hard to find those people. The hardest part of growing into success is finding those people Mm. yourself because you can grow as an individual, Mm. but there's only so far you can get without those people. So yeah, it's, Mm. it's, you are a product of the people that you surround yourself with. It's very counterintuitive, but I think it's a good metric if you have people that don't like you. Yeah, you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Um, hard to digest and hard to process and hard to live with that in the moment because you're just like, why does so and so person not like me? But I think it's just you being unapologetically you. And I think that's probably yeah. what people realize. Like your grandparents or people much older than us mm-hmm. realize that just be you. Like you're obviously not going to have everyone like you. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also the other point you mentioned around like investing time in those relationships and actually like seeing them once a week or mm-hmm. twice a week, like. I've been very guilty of <clears throat> perhaps not seeing good friends for like a few months. Mm. And obviously like, the, yeah, you, you, it's just about being selective about who do you actually want to see yeah. and seeing them more consistently because there's no point messing around if both of you are both, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to I, say because it all it depends I, contextually. I, I think the benefit of using your time to see those people once a week or twice a week yeah. is is for your personal benefit. Yeah. But if you don't see them once a week and you see them after four months and you yeah. pick up on exactly, the same exactly. relationship yeah. Yeah. and it's fine, it's yes. a good relationship. But yeah. I think just to benefit yourself yes, and, yeah. is to like of course. put in time for them. Yeah. Otherwise, it, like don't feel bad for them because they're probably doing they don't something know anything. Yeah, good. yeah, of course, yeah. of course. In terms of writing, just going back to, back to, the, no- to the novel, I'm, I'm really interested in like the whole writing process because like we... We spoke to um, Tom Boyd, who's an, uh, where he he's, plays football for the Western Bulldogs, and he was talking about how he, like, obviously went through his he went through his career, and he um, was dealing with like dealing with expectations was what was his main theme. Retired from football, and then wrote a book um, called Nowhere to Hide. Yeah, love to know, like, especially when you've now that you've written the book and you've um, it's, it's there, it's, it's there, the draft is sitting right in front of us. Yeah. How have you? Did writing this book provide you with any new insights or new perspectives into... Definitely. um, Yeah, Yeah, I didn't think... I thought writing the book was going to be for everyone else. It ended up being something completely for me. Yeah. It It was a huge reflection journey that I was able to recall and reflect on and to realize things and to come to conclusions to things and understand my patterns. It was definitely... It definitely helped me progress as a person. And the thing with writing, I was not a writer before I started writing it. Yeah. And now that I've finished it, I want to keep writing more because mm. I actually really enjoy the routine of just sitting down in a coffee shop for an hour, yeah. sitting down, writing out a thousand words. It's kind of like discipline yeah. to do it. Mm. But I think it's important to do. A lot of people say that journaling helps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important to reflect and to put it out there into the world, even mm. if it's just on a bit of paper. So... Mm. Um, I do like this book is very brief and it um, tells stories mm. along the way but I would like to write a second book where I get into like certain stories that I was in yeah. and be like a lot more descriptive on yeah. Um, but yeah I, I really enjoyed the process and yeah. if it doesn't sell like I don't care because it's just it's kind of like a side mission oh, it's yeah. fun for me yeah 
do you have a maybe you sort you spoke there about like favorite moments and what was like your favorite one to write about i think <laughs> i think the craziest just to recall like the most like bizarre thing that happened were the wasted wednesday parties we threw in our oh, mansion yeah. It was just so weird. It was a mixture of like Kendall Jenner, Kylie Jenner, <laughs> The Weeknd, Cameron Dallas. It was just a mixture of five were, sauce. Coming? Sorry? Wait, they were coming? Yeah, yeah. They, they were coming. Uh, the five sauce guys, we went to parties and it was just so Holy bizarre shit. and just weird. And yeah. oh my I don't God. know how any of this stuff happened. And yeah. just like recalling the stories and what went on in our house was pretty funny. I'd like to read a bit. Yeah, if yeah like. but go ahead. The Weeknd. Yeah, the weekend, my my brother actually got him kicked out of our house. (laughs) Yeah, because we had no idea who the weekend was. (laughs) And uh, one of his boys, I was smoking shisha in like our lounge room. (laughs) And um, one of his boys dropped a coal on my brother's foot. And my brother's like, oh! And the security like picked up the weekend and his boys and told him to like to get out of the house. (laughs) Jesus Jesus. Christ. so I do have an editor and the uh, job of my editor is to make me sound a lot smarter than what I am. <laughs> so he, his uh, grammar is a lot better than what I am. So if I do start stuttering on some big words, I'll just say editor. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Okay, so I remember walking into a coffee shop a few days after our first party. And before I had the chance to place my order, we got this a lot, by the way. The barista said, oh my God, aren't you that guy? I cut her off and said, yeah, the Janoskians. <laughs> to which she responded with a puzzled look and said, uh, no, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. You're that guy with the friends who throw those awesome house parties. Fuck. Word got out quickly about our house parties, the fattest parties with all celebrities, and before we knew it, our address was leaked in Studio City, Sherman Oaks, Hollywood, and pretty much all throughout the western states of the American public. Jesus. Which is crazy. Yeah. The, the rest of our living situation was done like we couldn't even enter our driveway fans located our mansion somehow and even after that first wednesday we could not enter our property without being asked to sign autographs and take pictures with fans who would literally drive six hours just to get a glimpse we decided to throw a house party every wednesday night because who the fuck throws parties on wednesdays we also decided to name that day of the week wasted wednesdays it was a fitting title to say the least and as we continue on i think you'll come to agree there was no competition. No one else was capitalizing on the midweek hump day. And we wanted a day out of the week for ourselves and our new famous friends. Before too long, I developed rituals for each and every Wednesday. I would wake up at around 11 a.m., hit the gym with the boys. After the gym, we would all go to a tan at the local sunbeds on Ventura <laughs> Boulevard, followed by lunch out in the town, scale the streets for some new threads. Like every Wednesday, we'd go and get new shoes or like new clothes and then go shopping for party essentials. We wanted to make the second party huge, so before we went out and dropped a couple thousand dollars on alcohol and other things. <laughs> so I'm going to try and explain to you how epic it truly was, but you could only really understand if you were there experiencing it in your own eyes and ears. Imagine being 21 and having your own mansion, like no parents or in another country by yourself. There were six different spots all around the house that would hold all the different groups and crowds. The pool, the stripper pole with the dance floor, the kitchen island where the bar would be, the lounge room where the shisha and hookers were continuously topped up with coal throughout the night, a room upstairs with a little private room where all the cool kids would hang out, and lastly, the garage. So the best way for me to explain Wasted Wednesdays is to describe what I remember from each room because after months of these events, it all kind of blended into one big debaucherous wild ride. (laughs) So the soundtrack is Language by Drake and Swimming Pools by Lil Wayne. (laughs) The pool would be the initial vibe spot where everyone would go out after pouring their first drink, intending to light up a cigarette and initiate the very typical generic LA conversations people out here are so fake. We hit my first memory of meeting Kylie and Kendall. So this is like my little name dropping part of the book. (laughs) (laughs) They just so happened to be close friends with another friend of mine whose name is Harry Hudson. And he invited them over for pre-drinks. Back then, I had heard of the name Kardashians, but sitting next to them in a circle by the pool with their friends Stars and Jordan, 
I just thought they were really hot, normal LA girls. I had no idea who they were. Yeah. Two hours into the party and the kitchen floor is starting to grow puddles of water dripping off the wet clothes on drunk bodies fresh from the pool. Most of the bodies that had been bottles that had been laid out before were now empty and everyone was still coming back for more. No matter how drunk I found myself in the kitchen, I always made sure to remind myself to wear shoes mm. as the floor was always littered with cigarette butts, crushed tin cans and broken glass from smashed bottles. I remember thinking one time I was the only person in the room who noticed the hazards or even perhaps cared about them being a threat to safety. Our attendees seemed not to care at all. Mm. I remember this one time Cameron Dallas, who's a Viner, later movie star, stepped up onto the kitchen island with cut up bleeding feet to make a speech. Mm. He downed a quarter bottle, burped and yelled, let's fucking take LA by the balls. <laughs> yeah. After everyone around the kitchen cheered him on, he kind of just stood there for a minute wobbling and then out of nowhere burst into tears. Wow. <laughs> like mess. His friends tried to help him down, but they were met with a solid fist across their face. Like he just snapped. Mm. He managed to get himself down. As he reached ground level, he tore off his shirt and ran down our street and off into the distance, constantly yelling obscenities and bizarre profanities as he did. And I heard so many stories of Cameron Dallas doing even crazier things at parties. And I, my heart goes out to him because he had to deal with fame at such a young age and so much pressure and being accepted by huge budget movie studios, so much money. Yeah. You can't prepare for it at no. a teen age, in teenage it's, years. It's a very similar story to yeah. you. Yeah. Very, very similar. Yeah. yeah. He just, um, he broke in public and around people so people knew what was going on as it was happening and I think that was his demise and what kind of like lost him a lot of deals and stuff but mm. um, yeah I, I, I don't know how he's doing now uh, that was the last I had heard of him or seen mm. of him but yeah it it's very scary what social media fame can do and mm. I want to bring this up to a lot of people because I was the, I, I was a pivotal of it and I was an influencer before people were mm. using the term influencer and I grew up with it and how fast it can be taken away from you and it will be taken away from you, especially if you're not a very talented singer or actor mm. or if you're just getting into social media and just want mm. quick views, how fast that can be taken away from you yeah. and what that can do to you mentally. One yeah. day you're on top of the world and the next day you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So How you are fast you fall. Yeah. Thing, yeah yeah wow um and yeah and i was very high for like a lot of years not yeah. on drugs yeah but like, no, but like yeah. um and yeah i've got like lots of stories to yeah. tell no so. absolutely i think it's a really like fresh perspective because like often like this this is the first time we've actually spoken to someone who is um like who's, who's an influencer who's who's, who's um the, the, their trade or what they're famous for was completely different to what we've mm. what we're normally used to it's yeah. really interesting to, to, to hear that i think it's yeah, it goes back to the first point that we made right at the start, which is like when fame comes to you at a very young age, mm. with it, it can be a recipe for for, for danger mm. because it's like you're not fully developed, you're, yeah. you you haven't had the the experience of life really, yeah, and you have you're kind of thrown straight into the deep end without mm. having without having any like. Yeah. raft or, mm -hmm. or any like life support or anything yeah it reminds like even justin bieber yeah had, had a very similar story and mm. um it can happen to the best of us mm -hmm. like I, I just feel like and and for people listening in how old were you when um Janoskian started really picking up just so we've got that context yeah i was 19 yeah 19, yeah, yeah. My brothers were 17 yeah yeah <laughs> it's funny because i thought I, I was ready for it mm, because yeah. you know like towards my like final years of high school, I was already very disciplined. Like mm. I said no to soft drink. Mm. Like I had structure with gym and dieting. It's just, but because I'd never faced addiction before, I've never had alcohol before, stuff like that. Mm. I didn't know how to handle it. So it's better to get rich and to have success when you're older and to build up to it instead of mm. it all coming at once. Because when you're in your 30s and 40s, you've already experienced a lot of what the world has to offer and you know how to negotiate mm. on what to take in and what to let go. Yeah. Do you, do you regret anything? Um, yeah, I do regret. Um, 
I do regret cheating on my girlfriend. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. and uh, like how how when when did that happen in the picture? Like how old were you then and Yeah, so uh, it would have been I would have been around 20 2021 yeah. 21 yeah. yeah yeah so i yeah. i think for me personally a lot of people ask why did the judoskins break up mm. and for me it was i wasn't able to mentally deal with sitting in a room with people with good morals and values and working with them mm. after i cheated on my girlfriend yeah and i didn't think that i could bring something to the table i didn't believe in myself anymore i completely just messed up and mm. so uh, at around 21, that's, that's when it, it finally ended and I came back to Australia. And the sad thing about it was that she was willing to take me back and to try again, but I didn't want to. Yeah. I wanted to be single and I wanted to keep sleeping around and I wanted mm. that lifestyle. Um, so that's something that I had to put myself through and that I had to learn. And one thing that I keep like re-quoting throughout my book is that my mum always taught me from a young age, these are your mistakes and these are your mistakes to learn from nobody can tell you any different you have to live through them and you have to decide if you want that to continuously loop through your cycle of life or if you're going to learn from it and get that out of your cycle and bring new things towards you yeah. so mm. for that reason um i i've decided to be completely single yeah mm. um not sleep with anyone either um, I want to just focus on myself yeah. and building a good life for myself before I introduce another person into that life. Um, I want to be able to have property myself. It's not all about financial, yeah. but I want to be able to mentally be there, confidence in myself mm. before I can bring in another person and share a good life with that other person yeah. because I feel like I need to have that life for myself first. Yeah. And I, that's why I do regret cheating on my girlfriend because I did have that life. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that mistake kind of brought it down. So I'm still trying to recover from that mistake like mm. eight years later. Yeah. Yeah. This reminds me of the conversation we had with Matthew. Or Matthew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthew, I think is how you pronounce it. He's mm. um, a 40-year-old guy, extremely good-looking, um, really fri This is the, the guy that got shortlisted to be an astronaut. Yeah, uh, so yeah. he's, he's yeah. a doctor and... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Uh, for those listening in, this episode hasn't been released yet, but we spoke with a guy uh, called Matthew, uh, 40 years old, a French national who's a doctor, a lecturer at Imperial College, and also just like really fit guy and uh, got shortlisted out of 23,000 applicants to be the top 100 for the European Space Agency. And his story, he's, yeah, it's, it's insane. And, and a resting heart rate of like 30. And and he his story was a lot around... Um, Growing up, he saw his dad uh, cheat on his mum, and his mum was also like emotionally unstable. Yeah. And what that led him to go down the path of was pursuing uh, like academics and getting accolades because that was the only way that he could get attention. Because his mum wasn't giving him attention, and mm. um, his dad and his mum's relationship was a bit rocky. And he put all his efforts into like pursuing something, mm. and that kind of numbed the feeling overall. Yeah. <coughs> and he's forty now. This was the first time he shared his story, and. It was only at around 30, 31, where he realized that, hang on a second, this chase for accolades is also going towards chasing girls. Mm. And um, that went on for like, he got addicted to seeing girls. Um, I think he had like seven dates or eight dates in a week, mm. uh, almost two, like sometimes two a day. Yeah. And it really only sunk in for him like a couple of years ago in his late 30s. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, like, <clears throat> you know, there's sometimes I, I get this feeling, so I'm, I'm in a obviously really happy, committed relationship, but I hear all these other folks talk about, like, um, similar to what you've said, like, you know, I just need to get out of my system and things like that. But I always look at that and I'm like, but everyone regrets it. Yeah. <laughs> everyone always regrets yeah. it later. Yeah. And I guess people listening in right now, they might be single and they just feel like they have to get out of their system. And, you know, I have a couple of mates who are like, going on dates and you're talking about like hinge or uh, tinder etc being quite empty mm. and i look at it from the outside being like you know wouldn't that time be so much better spent on yourself yeah but you can't speak logic when there's emotions involved and when yeah. someone just needs to get it out of their system yeah but having been in that spot how do you sort of like how, how would you speak to someone that 
is kind of going to that position right now yeah because it's really hard talking to someone who's quite emotional and mm. having to repair parts of their own trauma mm. uh, with rationale and logic yeah well i would just say it's not going to bring you anything good mm. it's not going to bring you what you're looking for mm. and if you spend your time wisely doing something else you will eventually find love and if you don't mm. it doesn't mean that you need to go out looking for it yeah. i think focus on on what you really want to do and find love within yourself because no one will love you more mm. maybe maybe your mom mm. or, or your dad like oh, this is um yeah, like, dude, I've learned so much with this. I've, I've really, really, really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed like this, this conversation. I think it's uh, the, the impression I get from you, Bo, is like you went like if, if throughout your life. It's like you've, it's like a tame tiger. That I just you. No, that's that cool. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate like that. There's, um, there's a force in him. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's like it's channeled in the right direction. And I'm, yeah, I'm, thank I'm you. Really, that's really what that. yeah. that's what I'm aiming for. Really, yeah, mm. yeah. 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 Uh, thank you. <laughs> Um, I just want to say thank you for you guys for joining. Um, And uh, also thank you to everyone that's listening. My name is Bo Brooks. Um, If you haven't already in in the UK and Europe, tickets are still up for sale. Not for London, London. Uh, not for Birmingham either because I think the episode will be released a bit after. But Dublin, Glasgow, Amsterdam and the rest are on the website. So if you'd like to come and see me, I'm reading out a bit of the book and having conversations like this in person. Uh, that would be really cool and I'd love to meet you guys awesome thank you so much mate and that's a wrap for this episode if you're enjoying our conversations please help us out with a quick rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts all the conversations are recorded in video so check us out on Instagram and Facebook at our handle at Bottled Up Oz Drop us a comment or a message if any of these conversations resonate with you. And most importantly, please share this podcast with anyone who might need it. So as always, this is Bottled Up. Thanks for being part of our family and see you next time.